Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The first driver to circumnavigate the world, allotted female sprint driver, the very first journalist in the Automotive Hall of Fame. These are some pretty cool accomplishments. And yet, you probably don't know any of these people's names. We spent a lot of time talking about the most famous heroes in auto racing, names like Enzo Ferrari, Michael Schumacher, or Lightning McQueen. But on today's Past Gas, we're skipping past the Greatest Hits album and getting right into the deep cuts. Who is the first person responsible for timekeeping Formula One races? How did Sabine Schmitz become the queen of the Nürburgring? And who was the first female driver to participate in an organized race? Today on Pass Gas, we're going to learn about some of the unsung heroes of automotive history. Pass Gas Podcast. It's about cars. It's not about sports. I like how there's like Michael Schumacher, Sabine Schmitz, and uh, we can't forget Lightning, Lightning McQueen. McQueen. The car with a mouth. <laughs> Car oh, he's got a lot more mouth. parts than that. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell Believe you. Believe us. We <laughs> yeah. used to live with him in a dorm room. Yeah. yeah. Shift boot. More like <laughs> boot boot. <laughs> yeah, you know? A huge one. <laughs> <laughs> Lightning McQueen's got a huge one. <laughs> Big drive shaft. Big. What? Come on, Dude, Nolan. Get your gross. head out of the gutter. <laughs> Are there aliens in cars? Uh, yes. Yes. Are they spaceships? They're those little Tic Tacs flying around. What? That's what they call the... the that's what the F-35... That's what the jets have been uh, seeing over pilots. the ocean. They're called Tic Tacs. They're Tic-tac. little white cylindrical things that yeah. go really fast. And the, um, people have been theorizing that they're coming out of the ocean that's and a, not that's out of space. Like yeah. Abyss. I think they're just taking that from Abyss by James Cameron, honestly. Great film. One of my favorites, actually. Dude, I love Abyss. Like, Lobster Abyss, <laughs> Crab Abyss. There's been a lot of uh, um, UFO news lately. 
Yeah, uh, thank you, Tom DeLong. Because <laughs> uh, NASA just did a press conference this week. But honestly, I'm like kind of burned out on it. I feel like too many like too many grifters have gotten involved in the UFO scene lately. Not Tom DeLong. Definitely not him. No, he's in no. it for. But apparently, where like, are you? <laughs> oh, that's Little that song's green about aliens. men. Yeah, I'm just I'm out of it now. I used to be in, but now I'm out. That's cool. Just the the good name of UFOs have been just kind of sullied. Well, well they're, they're not, not UFOs even UFOs anymore. anymore. Are they like UPOs or UAPs? UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sour. About Dude, these you haven't even grifters. seen an alien though. I yeah, haven't, like in real life. Nope. And y- Do you think you? that'll reignite your passion? I mean, yeah, of course. If I saw if I saw a UFO, yeah, uh, totally. My aunt and my granddad saw a UFO at in near Lake Shasta back in like the seventies. A craft like changed direction super fast. Yeah. yeah, there's a theory on that too. I could go on for days. But, but when you're on the ground, like if you see something change direction from the ground and so you're stationary, the theory is that. They're traveling in four dimensions, mm-hmm. and if you lived in a two-dimensional world, meaning flat, yeah. and you saw a three-dimensional object enter your world, you would not be able to understand it. Yeah, Think yeah. of like a sphere going through your two-dimensional world. It starts small, it gets bigger, uh, and yeah. then it gets small again, yeah. right? Okay. So that's why we think it changes direction so quickly is because it's moving in the fourth dimension, and we can't understand the movements Mm -hmm. i mean talking about physics and stuff this week i've also been looking into i've been looking into uh, physics (laughs) because i'm just interested it's kind of a hobby (laughs) no it's not it's just like a fixation but i also like i'm interested i want to know the physics but i'm also very bad at math so i can't like understand what these people are talking about usually in these like advanced youtube videos one of our directors tony is a physicist but somehow also directs YouTube videos about reacting. About reacts, he does react videos. In our yeah, spare he directs time. all of our videos where we react to TikToks. But yeah, also, he's a scientist. But yeah, it's very. It's, and he's it's like crazy. insanely good at music theory too. He knows everything really? about. It. Yeah, wow. He teaches okay. a like a master class on it. Anyway, <laughs> I want to get some of his guidance on this physics stuff so I can figure out what's going on in this crazy universe we call home. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, like physicists are kind of like unsung heroes of You're the right. scientific world. They are. My name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts. We got James Brown Hat Pumphrey. That's what they call... Uh, brown hat might be a Nazi thing. Brown, brown shirt. shirt. Okay. That's different. That's different. <laughs> well, I got I'm you. neither. Yeah. And Joe... Juicy. Juicy Joe Weber. Juicy Cakes. Joe Weber. Juicy Cakes Joe Weber. <laughs> Where'd that come from? Uh, Are you drinking juice right now? We were, ta- we were talking about, you know, caked up dump trucks in yeah. the last episode. Uh-huh. And... Keep and it you juiced. I don't know. It's just jerky on the table. We should start a dump truck company called a Caked Up. Caked yes. Up. Caked, caked Up Dump, dump Company. Caked Up Dump Trucks. Yeah. Because also, dump cakes is a thing. Oh, yeah. We I love know. our dump cakes. My mom gave me a dump cake <laughs> cookbook for Christmas one year. Really? I still no, have it. Yeah. Now is not cake the time. <laughs> dump cake cookbook sounds like a Action Bronson alias. Yeah. D- yeah. Dump cake cookbook. Yeah. All right. Wow, we've really covered the spectrum of our interests. But let's get into this show now. Let's talk about some unsung heroes of automotive history. All yeah? right. This first one's got an umlaut. Yes, it does. Clara Norstenes was the daughter of an influential German businessman and politician who owned one of the largest industrial groups in Europe. Hopefully, 
after the 1940s. No, in 1925. Oh, she began driving laps around her father's factory when she was just 15 and had her driver's license by age 18. In her early 20s, she helped run a branch of the family business in South America. But... South America. Uh, But after her father died, she returned to Berlin and began racing cars. In 1925, at the age of 24, Stines participated in her first race, a Soviet rally from Moscow south to the Georgia region and back north to St. Petersburg. Georgia, the region, not the U.S. state. Uh, For a a while, I thought that Led Zeppelin was from Birmingham, Alabama. But no, they're from Birmingham. Oh. Oh, that makes sense. That's pretty funny. I liked them enough to read about them <laughs> <laughs> and learn that uh, they met in Birmingham. And I was like, huh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Mama won't get him move. <laughs> or Mikey down or Mikey go. <laughs> Dude, if I could learn if I could play that on banjo, I'd be a TikTok star. <laughs> <laughs> Clarinor won her class in that Moscow rally, and the experience inspired her. When she returned to Germany, she immediately began using her father's political and financial connections to organize the first trip around the world via automobile. It took Stines two years to raise sponsorship money and secure the necessary visas. In the meantime, she became one of the most successful drivers in Europe, winning 17 races. Wow. In two years? That's a lot. That's a lot. Especially at that time. Finally, on May 25, 1927, Stines set off from Frankfurt, Germany, accompanied by Swedish photographer Carl Axer Söderström, who she hired. Söderström. 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 Oh, I got one of those in my kitchen. Carl Axel Söderström. Who she hired to document the journey. The two met for the first time just days before departure. What if, like, they didn't vibe? Mm -hmm. And I bet it went a little something like this. Hello, I'm Clarinor. Uh, auf Wiedersehen. Ich bin Karl Axel. <laughs> I think I'm going to like this. Stenes drove a three-speed, 50-horsepower Adler Standard 6 automobile. It was purposely left unmodified, apart from two lounge seats, in order to advertise the quality of German industrial products. Great. Dude, why don't they put chaise lounges in cars? Because you'd slide under it and die. Yeah. <laughs> oh. and Suderstrom were escorted by two mechanics in a freight vehicle with spare parts and equipment. And also, there was Clarinor's dog, Lord. Lord's a good name for a dog. Yeah. <clears throat> what if it's really small and cute? Be great. <laughs> Even <laughs> Really better, small and honestly. cute, really big yeah. and cute, medium and cute. Yeah. Chubby, chonky, wrinkly, smooth. I love them all. Tiny tootsies. Got the zoomies. Mm. All pluses. I cuddled with my dog real good last night. (laughs) The journey started in Germany and continued through Europe, the Middle East, Central Asia, and finally to the Americas, covering 30,000 miles in total. Jeremy, the journey starts in Germany, Jeremy. (laughs) Jeremy, Germany starts in Germany. Apart from sections of Western Europe and North America, their route provided very little infrastructure. There were no gas stations and barely any roads. Do you hear me, Jeremy? Journey starts in Germany. <laughs> Number 60 comedy podcast, ladies hey, and baby. gents. This is what you get. This is what Jeremy, you Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy. <laughs> After the Standard Six's clutch broke early in the journey near Prague, Suderstrom skeptically noted that he didn't think, quote, the cars would last the whole trip. Clarinor and Suderstrom often quarreled early on, 
but the photographer later made note of his growing appreciation for her. Quote, She must be made of steel because she can withstand anything without complaining. And believe me, I've tried. <laughs> One of the most harrowing parts of their journey took place in Siberia, where they had to wait two and a half months in at Kirksk. For a lake to freeze before they could cross it. When does it stop being a race? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Later, the extreme temperatures, which reached as low as 40 degrees below zero, wow. made it nearly impossible to continue with their journey. This yeah. is before any freeze. Yeah. In Mongolia, they were warned of mounted warlords who would attack them, but they continued onward anyway. They pressed through the Gobi Desert into China, which was immersed in a civil war. From China, they traveled to South America by boat, where at one point their car sank into quicksand. Oh, my God. Uh, it's real. Yeah. It's real. And it took the effort of 42 dudes to pull it out with ropes. At some point, their two mechanics decided enough was enough and bailed out completely. When they reached Lake Titicaca in okay. Peru, they had to wait for a new transmission to arrive from Germany. Jeez. 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 Despite all these challenges, though, the Adler Standard 6 managed to make it to the United States, where Clarinor and Soderstrom were hailed as heroes by mayors and auto clubs across the country. <laughs> wow. This part of their trip culminated with a visit to President Herbert Hoover in the White House. Then they sailed to France, where they continued their journey by car to Germany, and then finally to Soderstrom's home in Stockholm. In total... Where they both lived forever and ever. <laughs> In total, the trip took two years and one month. Yeah, if they didn't vibe, spending two years with that dude, not good vibes. Not good vibes. Yeah, dude, if they didn't vibe, not good vibes. Not good vibes. <laughs> While Clarinor Stanessa's journey was an incredible accomplishment, perhaps her greatest feat of all was true love. Oh. After the trip, Clarinor and Suderstrom got married I and, knew it. and settled down. I knew it. On a farm in southern Sweden where they raised three children. Nice. She passed away in 1990. Nice. At the age of 89. Nice. What a life. Dude, why not a movie? That's cool. Wow. We need okay. this movie. Kira Knightley. Yes. Is Clarinor. Yeah. Yes, yes. Perfect casting. Thank you. Just immediately popped out in my yeah. head. Yeah. And then uh, what's his name? Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, yeah. You need someone to match Kiara's kind of like yeah, acclaimed. and then one of the, Me mechanics. the mechanics. We should play the mechanics. We should play the mechanics. This is our big break. What do you think of Peter Sarsgaard for mm. one of the mechanics? I was thinking Peter Sarsgaard and like uh, someone small. <laughs> oh, uh, I was that, thinking BJ Novak, but I don't. No, like no, him. this the Scientologist dude, Giovanni Ribisi. Oh, oh, is he in jail? No, that's Danny Masterson. Danny Masterson. Yeah, yeah. Ribisi. And Sizemore as the yes, <laughs> Sizemore. Tom Sizemore. Yeah, I can't believe he dropped Sizemore. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah, it's gonna be a great movie. It's a good movie. Yeah. I can't wait. All right, Dibs. We gotta call Dibs because legally, Dibs. 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 Nobody else make that movie. Yep. A twenty four. I know you watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who's directing it? Uh, who's directing Barbie? Oh, Greta Gerwig? Yes. Let's yeah. get Gerwig on the horn. Get yep. Gerwig. Get Gerwig on the horn. I love her. Francis yeah. Ha? More like Francis, sign me up, pal, because <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> Swiss timekeeper Jean Campiche was a pioneer who used technology to transform motorsports. 
His innovations helped some of the most legendary Formula E teams ever to dominate racetracks during the 70s and 80s. Hmm, I like like, where this story is going. I like you mean time (laughs) and racing? I think I'm going to like this. (laughs) After studying engineering in Lausanne, Switzerland, Campiche began pursuing his one true love. Motorcycle racing. Oh, I like this guy. Yeah. (laughs) He competed on the world championship circuit for six years, but after struggling to fund his passion and dealing with repeated injuries, he decided it was time (laughs) for a change. Watchmaker. In 1973, (laughs) Campiche started working for Swiss watchmaker. I knew it had something to do with tag. Which had been hired by the legendary Enzo Ferrari. Okay. I'm wondering why. I needed a dime. I needed a dime. Back then, it was unusual for a Formula One team to have a dedicated timing technician, but Enzo wanted his private Marinello track to be timed as accurately as possible in order to detect performance losses in his cars. Okay, Okay, I understand. It's all starting to add up. Compiche and her. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it. So natural. (laughs) Equip the circuit with 45 bidirectional photo cells, which helped measure the speed of a car on different parts of the track, especially acceleration and braking times. Hmm. Various timing devices Campiche developed for Ferrari also enabled engineers and drivers to compare the performance of the cars against each other. Okay. At the time, official timekeeping was not very reliable. It was mostly just a guy going, un 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000. The times would come in many minutes after the action was complete and was often riddled with errors. Using electronic timing, Campiche found himself reporting and revising the official timekeeper's report. Whoa. He also helped evolve transponders, which were attached to cars to improve the accuracy of qualifying and race times. Thanks in part to the data gathered by Campiche, Ferrari ascended to higher and higher planes of accomplishment, which pushed other teams to hire timekeepers of their own. That's something, you know, all the teams are like, well, that's kind of lame. And then it starts paying off, and they're like, oh, that's not so lame. I would also guess that it was probably very expensive to develop a system like this, which probably kept a lot of, like, the smaller privateer teams uh, from doing something like this. Ferrari, of course, being a manufacturer as as well, was probably one of the only people who could afford to do this. That's true. These days, F1 timekeeping is considered the most precise in the world, and pretty much every team is partnered up with a major watchmaker like her. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> F1 systems are directly linked to a network of atomic clocks working to within one billionth of a second. Nice. Which makes sense because the difference between winning and losing comes down to microseconds. <laughs> Not this season. Ah, nice. If you want to hear more of, of Nolan saying snarky crap like that yep, about racing, check right. out uh, his other podcast, Donut Racing Show, anywhere you find podcasts. That's right. And that's all thanks to unsung heroes like Jean Campiche, who used technology to change the sport for air. That's pretty cool. I think I ordered some Campiche for lunch. Oh, dude. I'm pretty curious to see how these bi-directional photo cells work. Hopefully, when I learn math, I can know. <laughs> yeah, one of the, you have a list of things that you're going to yeah. love once you learn math. Yeah, it's be Is that your summer journey, learning math? Is that where, Are we doing summer journeys now? Yeah. That's yeah. a thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, sure. My summer journey. I'm staying inside <laughs> and learning math. <laughs> summer school. Do you guys ever have to go to summer school? 
No. No? I did uh-huh. voluntarily because I thought I was going to um, graduate early. And so I did this, like, hybrid PE English class. Uh, <laughs> and then I... <laughs> what? It was a 10-day, like, canoeing, biking, and hiking trip. And at the end of it, you had to write a 20-page essay. Oh, okay. Wow. That makes a lot more sense. I and thought you were, like, running around the track. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, cut you in the rye in front of you. No, that made me sick. But uh, I didn't plan anything past that, so I ended up just having to take, like, my last semester was, like, three periods. Uh-huh. And I was, like, one of them was, like, study hall. <laughs> and what? I was, like, what am I doing yeah. here? Huh. That's fun. We'll be right back with more of this story. But first, a word from our sponsors. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Okay, on to our next story. Before Cheryl Lynn Glass became the first black female professional race car driver in the U.S., she was a child entrepreneur. Nice. Her father was a business executive, and her mother was an engineer for Boeing. At the age of nine, Cheryl combined the family bloodlines by starting a home business to fund her junior racing career. Seems like a smart family. Yeah, definitely. She began making high-end ceramic dolls and selling them to local businesses for up to 300 bucks a pop. At nine years old? That's insane, dude. Around that same time, she became interested in racing after reading a newspaper article about other kids in the Pacific Northwest who drove quarter midget race cars. Hey, it's you. Yeah. Quarter of a midget sounds tiny. (laughs) Pretty small car. (laughs) She used her business earnings to join the local circuit. In Glass's first year of competition, she was the first girl ever to be named Rookie of the Year. She went on to win five consecutive regional titles and was ranked as one of the top ten drivers nationally in quarter midget, uh, the entry level of sprint car racing. I want to say that they're carts with, like, roll cages, but I could totally be wrong. Yeah, so quarter midget race cars are basically, like, think of a sprint car, shrink it down even more, and make it look more like a go-kart. My cousin Darren did this for a little while. I think he got hurt doing it, though. It is smaller than I imagined. Yeah, they're pretty tiny. 
They look so fun, though. Oh, yeah, my God. That'd be so fun. Can you this. imagine how much of a terror Jeremiah would be? Oh, on yeah. I want to race him. I'll take him down, dude. So, uh, Cheryl graduated high school with honors at age 16, then dropped out of college at 18 to buy her first full-size sprint car. She began racing at Skagit Raceway in Washington, a short oval where she was the first woman sprint car driver. In her first season, the Northwest Sprint Car Association named her, once again, Rookie of the Year. Nice. Killing it. But as she carried on beating her white male peers, just like she had in the junior competitions, Cheryl predictably faced discrimination from other drivers. She told a reporter, quote, women aren't supposed to be sprint drivers, and most men haven't really liked me. Their attitudes have made it very difficult for me to race. That's lame. Cheryl's dream was to eventually become a Formula One driver. However, in addition to not looking like the other drivers, she didn't come from a traditional racing background and had no connections. And as a result, she struggled to get chances to progress her career. Her first attempt at racing sprint cars outside her home turf was a disastrous appearance at the 1982 Hoosier 100 in Indianapolis. At the time, it was the most high-profile event on the sprint car calendar, which made Cheryl's appearance similar to an open-wheel driver debuting at the Indy 500. She was only 20 and had never raced a mile-long track, only quarter and half miles. I think these longer tracks, they're much higher speeds. Yeah. you got to be more confident going into those uh, corners at a much you know, higher velocity. Uh, and also sprint cars. Like You guys are in such close uh, quarters with other drivers, and with those open wheels, there's so much potential for things to go wrong. Yeah, flipping over each other. Yep. Up against top-tier drivers for the first time, Cheryl struggled to qualify and ended up retiring nine laps into the race. She clearly wasn't ready for the big time and became prickly due to her poor performance. Her sponsor, Charlie Patterson, called that, quote, She seemed to be down on herself and down about everything. On the other hand, she probably had good reasons. When asked whether she'd face prejudice for her gender or race when she was racing at Indianapolis, Cheryl simply replied, both. After the Hoosier 100, Cheryl never really got another chance at the highest levels of racing. Instead, she returned to her hometown of Seattle and built a custom gown design business, wow. as well as helped found STEM education programs for inner-city students. That's yeah. super cool. When she finally returned to racing, it was similar to what she did when she was nine. She paid for her own car. In the late 80s, Cheryl brought her own entry into the Indy Lights development series, Cheryl Glass Racing. Unfortunately, the story there was similar to her failure at Indy. Her short oval background didn't prepare her for bigger challenges, like the road races in the Indy Lights series. She ultimately suffered a crash in her final race, which ended her career for good in 1991. But that doesn't take away what Cheryl Lynn Glass accomplished during her short racing career. Take it from Willie T. Ribs, the first African-American to compete in the Indy 500, who said, quote, She was remarkable. A black woman will be president of the United States before another Cheryl Glass comes along. Pretty cool story there. Uh -huh. yeah. Too bad Can it didn't work nice out, but out. Most people know Sabine Schmitz from her many appearances on Top Gear. But to fans of German racing, she's better known as the queen of... Of the Nürburgring. She was on Top Gear a few times. A few times. Yeah. She's so, also one of the most requested stories from yes, past guest listeners. Yes, you guys listeners. have asked us about this many times, so, so... Better listen up. Here we go. All right. The Nürburgring is a famous 12.9-mile-long racetrack that winds through the forested Eiffel Hills. Uh, it's technically a toll road. <laughs> 
And for Schmitz, it was literally her childhood playground. Literally. Her parents ran a restaurant in the basement of a hotel within the Nordschleife Loop, where famous drivers were regularly guests. I want to stay there. As long as it's nice. <laughs> if it's not nice, I don't want to stay there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. bugs everywhere. I'd rather stay somewhere else, to be I'm honest. Yeah, I totally out. understand what you're saying. If I lift up the sheets and it's the bed's covered in toenails, Ugh. yuck. Yuck. Wash those <laughs> sheets. Yes. If there's any doo-doo in the toilet, no way I will stay there. Flush that stuff. I'll go stay at a, <laughs> another place, you know? Yeah. Flush <laughs> that. Come on. But if it's nice, I'd love to stay there and check out that basement restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Schmitz trained as a hotelier and a sommelier. She went to LA school, but wanted to be a driver from the age of 13. She finally drove the Nürburgring for the first time at 17 in her mother's car before she even had a driver's license. Her brother later said, They put on racing tires, took off the license plates, and raced it on the track. My mother would drive that same car to the hairdresser or to the groceries. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, pretty cool that they had like race tires. Yeah, it's cool. Took off the license plates. Yeah. After competing in amateur races with her two sisters, Schmitz went on to drive for BMW in the early 1990s. She won the Nürburgring 24-hour race in 1996 and became the first woman to win the VLN Endurance Championship in 1998 in a BMW M3. Hell yeah. Yeah. She remains the only female driver to have won the Nürburgring's 24-hour race, which draws more than 200 entries and tens of thousands of fans every June. That would be such an intense 24-hour race. I'm trying to think of it right now because, you know, like I've crewed on an endurance team. We've oh, raced at, we know. I know. I'm just saying, like, we've raced at Button Willow and, and uh, you know, uh, Willow Springs. And for most of those tracks, you can see a lot of it, you know, like yeah. as a spotter. You can, like, let your driver know what's around them. But with the track being so long, there's just no way you can spot for someone like that. And no being way. a driver, I'm just imagining, like, in the middle of the night, just your headlights are just kind of cutting through the, the woods, and that's it. You're alone out there at 3 in the morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, racing other drivers. Like, that's... Pretty must nuts. be such an insane yeah. experience. It's scary during the daytime. It's scary during the day. It's scary during the daytime. I, I gotta watch know. horror movies with the lights on. <laughs> Aside from her racing achievements, Schmitz was also called the fastest taxi driver in the world because she drove thrill-seeking racing fans around the Nürburgring in a BMW M5. That's sick. She told Top Gear about the gig in 2010, saying... It's really fun to scare people. <laughs> they love to get scared, so they pay me for that. And it's not just in a car that I scare them. Sometimes I will hide in a person's closet <laughs> in the hotel for hours and hours, not moving. They will come into their room and they will get ready for bed, take a shower, watch some TV. For hours and hours I will stand there in the closet, not saying a word, breathing very quietly. <sighs> and then suddenly, ins- as they are about to fall asleep, I will pop out and I say, boo! <laughs> and they get quite a scare. They pay me for that. And they pay me for that. <laughs> Schmitz was able to recite the names of the track's turns by heart. And by her own account, completed more than 30,000 laps of her home circuit. Wow. Jeez. That's like a, another level of dorky. 
Yeah. If you're just like, oh, I'm at spa right now. I'm going to uh, Rouge, whatever. It's called. <laughs> like, Rouge. I like dorky. I can't even think of cool. one name of one turn. <laughs> That's sick. Yeah. Did you, I saw a TikTok or some video of uh, they would just play the engine noise of a F1 car for yeah. drivers and they could tell which track it's on. That's sick. Yeah. There's that like video of Checo, uh, Checo in Mexico, and he's got his eyes closed, and they have a video of his car behind, and uh, he's just they gave him a steering wheel, and he, he just like from the sound of it can like do the turns exactly, wow. you know, like to the degree. That's so wild. I can't do you anything know, that well. When yeah. I watch YouTube with my eyes closed, you know, I yeah. can I can tell what uh, you know. What videos are being played yeah. like, oh, just by oh, voice? Man. Yeah. You know, oh man, that's me wrestling with the bell housing on low car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey Nolan, that's you the all right? I get served. Huh? No, I'm not all right, Eddie. Okay, yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's the uh, that's the turbo, turbo episode. Yep, yep, classic. But her most famous moment on the track came during a Top Gear segment in which she raced a Ford Transit van around the Nürburgring. Oh, yeah. Video of her lap quickly went viral and made her household name among car enthusiasts. She went on to join the regular cast of Top Gear as well as host her own show on German TV called D-Motor. 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 Where she tested out different cars and shared her racing knowledge with viewers. Sadly, Schmitz passed away from cancer in 2021 at the age of 51. Nevertheless, she was an inspiration and a motivation to many, including racing driver Sophia Flersch and Ford CEO Jim Farley, who called her an icon. And her legacy lives on. The Nürburgring renamed its first corner the Sabine Schmitz Curve with a K. In I love own. that it's spelled with a K. Curve. That's Curve. cool. That feels like a nightclub. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Curve yeah. is a nightclub. Did you go to Curve last Friday? It also sounds like a gym for fat people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So curves. Yeah. You're just yeah. referencing curves. <laughs> we'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. All right, our next story here. Denise McCluggage was a pioneering figure in the world of auto racing, journalism, and photography. Her writing was particularly instrumental in growing the popularity of racing as a spectator sport. Born in El Dorado, Kansas in 1927, McCluggage showed an early interest in journalism when she started a neighborhood newspaper at the age of 12. What? It was called the I Don't Want to Do My Homework News. Nice. <laughs> Parents suck, don't they? Ah, <laughs> nice. Call, uh, we, we call them little brothers are turds. <laughs> After, uh, wait, fun fact. Okay. The Kansas Oil Museum is in El Dorado. Nice. Oh, All right. Nice. If you want to go chug some crude, head to El Dorado, <laughs> Kansas. After graduating from Mills College in Oakland in 1947, McCluggage joined the San Francisco Chronicle as a reporter. At the Chronicle, McCluggage began covering what we now know as extreme sports, which at the time included such hardcore badasseries such as sailing, nice. skiing, and auto racing. She was drawn to the booming California road racing scene, which she was introduced to by one Briggs Cunningham, who built the first American cars to race at Le Mans and... St racing Stratton. Briggs and Stratton. That's, that's right. Mel Moore's. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
However, at the time, women weren't allowed in the pits as reporters. McCluggage later recalled, quote, I wasn't allowed in the garage, pit area, or press box at Indy. I had to interview drivers through a chain-link fence. Women just weren't permitted in. I was told people wouldn't accept news from a woman. And all the race car drivers are in their underwear. So that's, They are. Uh, they yeah. all wear purple briefs. <laughs> I've yep. seen Mario Andretti in his underpants. There you go. And with that, you uh, take your first drink of the show. <laughs> <laughs> if you're playing bingo, that's the free spot. <laughs> that, that's the phrase that pays. <laughs> Call us up. Call K-Cars, K-C-A-R. You'll get tickets to see Alice in Chains. With Jane's addiction. Next up, we got a ten block of uh, Hootie Alice. the Blowfish. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna no play ads, that. We're gonna, just Hootie for ten. Songs. Hey, we got a caller on line one. How are you? Wait, was it K Car? K Car, yeah. That's so good. K C A R. K C A R. The car. Whoo! Luckily, McCluggage found a cheat code for this institutionalized sexism. She decided to become a participant instead of a reporter. Nice. Life hack. That's right. She bought her first sports car, an MGTC Midget, and began racing at small club races. What is it with cars named midgets? I don't know. Hey, they're small. <laughs> Midget is midgets. just a name for something small. Is it? Yeah. Mm. It became a derogatory term. Got it. I see. Uh, anyway, she bought the MG and began racing in small club races, which she would write about based on her firsthand experiences. This was some groundbreaking stuff, as she's credited by the Automotive Hall of Fame for inventing participatory sports journalism. That's super wow. cool. And that's uh, basically what you guys do. Huh. Thank you, McCluggage. Yeah, thanks, Mama McCluggage. Mama McCluggage. In the mid-50s, Denise McCluggage moved to the East Coast and joined the New York Herald Tribune. That rag... <laughs> where she continued to cover auto racing and skiing, among other sports. She also continued to race, trading in her MG for a white Chrysler LeBaron. Get it? Oh. No, for a, a Jaguar XK140. Oh, that, was way a, cooler. that was a cake reference. Because you're listening to KCAR. <laughs> the car. The car. That was cake. <laughs> that was cake. Long skirt, short jacket, or however it goes. <laughs> Uh, anyway. And a big jacket. <laughs> Denise even began to compete as a professional driver and became known for her trademark white helmet with pink polka dots. Oh, that's nice. so freaking cute. Hell yeah, that's cool. So I found out about her because of the Phil Hill story. Yes. That her you and Phil Hill researched. were homies, and she would she would act like kind of a spy for him. And like really? Get some, you know, like some... Inside info. Wow. Dude, McCluggage is such a hot name. <laughs> Denise drove all the great sport car venues of the day. She raced in Porsches, Daytamasos, Maseratis, Volvos even, Mini Coopers, Fiats, and Renaults. Legends like Carol Shelby and Juan Manuel Fangio raced alongside her and grew to respect her natural ability behind the wheel. Her pro career eventually peaked in the 60s with a GT-class victory at the 1961 Sebring 12-hour race in a Ferrari and a win at the 1964 Monte Carlo Rally driving a factory-entered Ford Falcon. Damn, she was whipping a Falcon around there? That's crazy. Damn, she'd be whipping that Falcon. She'd be whipping, whipping that, that Falcon. Falcon. Call her Maltese. Over her long career, Denise McCluggage persevered and became a respected figure in the world of auto racing. She later helped found and edit Competition Press, America's first motorsport weekly magazine, which became Auto Week 
and is still published today. Her regular Auto Week column, Drive, she said, was a must-read for auto enthusiasts until Denise passed away in 2015. It's a pretty long life. Yeah. Uh, Well lived. Well lived. In recognition of her contributions to the world of racing, McCluggage became the first journalist to be inducted into the Automotive Hall of Fame in 2001. Nice. Yeah. Wow. What a story. Thank you, Denise McCluggage, for inventing participatory sports journalism. Yeah, trailblazer. Yeah, what the heck? We wouldn't be a LeBron without her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love reading LeBron's column after his games. Does he have one? Yep. Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> As we're well aware, in the early days of motor vehicles, driving was considered an exclusively male hobby. But Wilhelmina Earhart didn't buy that. Not for one second, Jack. She was married to Gustav Erhardt, an automobile pioneer who ran Germany's Automobilwerk Eisenach, huh. and quickly made a name for herself as the first female driver to participate in an organized race. A lot of firsts oh. this episode. Yeah. yeah. Eisenach was the third company to manufacture cars in Germany after Benz and Daimler. They produced a licensed model for the French Ducaville called Varterberg. Vart- <laughs> Called Wartburg Wagen. Gustav Erhardt took over the factory from his Fassa towards the end of the 19th century, overseeing 1,300 workers at one of the largest manufacturing facilities in Europe. Isn't that weird? Wilhelmina took an interest in Gustav's work and accompanied her husband to motor shows in Munich and Berlin. There, she demonstrated the Wurtberg motor car to visitors and drove it for demonstrations. Her presence caused quite a stir, as she was a woman, explaining to men how a technical invention works. Oh, how does she know love stuff? That. How does she know that? How does she know yeah. that, even? No, but I have way less experience, but I'll tell you how it actually works. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining just like, eh, let me show you. This yeah. drives right off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> but Wilhelmina didn't let this stop her. When the Eisenach factory set out on a major outing to demonstrate the capabilities of their motor vehicles, she was behind the wheel of one of the four Wartbergs. Uh, guys, we should work on the name. Yeah. Wartberg. Wartberg. <laughs> I love a Wahlburger, though. <laughs> Stay up, pray up. Oh, Stay over, prayed up. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> this shocked gathering. I used to do a character called Out of Breath, Mark Wahlberg. One of my favorites. He's like, hey, thanks for having me over. It's a bottle of wine. Did you know that your elevator's out of water? <laughs> <laughs> Is Donnie here? <laughs> out of breath, Mark Wahlberg. This shocked gathering crowds who had never seen a woman driving a car before. In 1899, Gustav signed up with his newly developed Vortberg for the car's <laughs> first long-distance cross-border trip from Innsbruck, Austria, to Munich, Germany. Wilhelmina accompanied him in the passenger seat, but it would be almost a year before she would get her chance to start as the actual driver in a motor race after her first attempt was canceled due to a storm. Oh. But on August 3rd, 1901, Wilhelmina wrote motorsports history by participating in a long-distance automobile trip through Germany's Heinisch mountain range. 
The racetrack started in Eisenach, went through Oberhof and Meiningen, and finally back to Eisenach. <laughs> Just in time for pickles. Just in time for pretzel time with pickles. Ooh, I can go for a pretzel with pickles. I right know. Now. Despite an inferior engine, she only narrowly missed out on the podium coming in fourth. The Earnhardt family withdrew from the auto industry in 1903 due to financial losses, but it wasn't her fault. But not before Wilhelmina made her mark in history as a pioneering female driver. Wow, what a story. Yes. War- Vartberg. Vartberg through Oberhof and Meiningen through the Heinisch Mountains. There you have it. Six chronically underappreciated automobile pioneers. Pour one out for these legends, who are not actually quite as legendary as they should be. Let us never forget that everything awesome about modern racing is only possible thanks to many innovators sung and unsung that came before us wow great stories mm-hmm. yeah a lot of stuff i didn't know and i know a lot of stuff you so this is surprising stuff. you do know a lot of you stuff. know some of the most stuff i ever heard yeah <laughs> very uh <laughs> i'm plenty sung let's let's just focus on these unsung. all right you're right you're right all right we got some listener mail this week hey guys super funny story about the big muddy ranch from santa's coal bag Last summer, I went to a camp in Oregon and heard that it belonged to a cult once before, and my mom had also watched a documentary and briefly talked about it. Specifically, one part about the group who now owns it, uh, Young Life. Coincidentally, my parents and I are both involved in Young Life, and I went to that camp that the cult was at without even realizing it until I was listening to the show and it dawned on me. Also, you guys are a huge inspiration to me, and it feels like you guys are just distant friends that I talk to once a week. Aw, you are our friend, Kai. You have inspired me to help with a podcast of my own that is currently for the school, and this episode has really helped me uh, know what to change to make it better, and I thank you for having the best friendship and podcast anyone could want. Kai, thank you so much, Kai. Uh, P.S., try to dig some stuff up for a Demolition Derby episode. Nice. Nice suggestion. Uh, Good suggestion. mental picture you painted there. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, the Rajneesh, uh, enjoy that camp. That was formerly theirs. If you'd like to uh, send us some an email, hit us up at pascaspodcast at donutmedia.com, and maybe we'll read it on air. All right. So thank you so much for listening. That was a great episode. Hope you guys learned a lot. I sure, certainly did. Certainly did. <laughs> uh, follow the boys. On I, certainly social- pants. I certainly certainly. <laughs> <laughs> follow the <laughs> That got Gavin. Gavin's, Gavin's Gavin going. never laughs. Gavin's That's rare. That's a good one. Gavin over there. <laughs> All right. All right, so uh, thank you so much for listening. Once again, follow the boys on all social media, at James Pumphrey, at Joe G. Weber. Follow me, at Nolan J. Sykes, if you'd like. Big thank you to our producers this week, Christina Falski and Gavin Kinzel. Also, Nick Giamuso behind the camera. Thanks, Nick. And also our writer this week, Greg Nix. Greg Nix, what a guy. What a guy taking a break from the baby by writing this podcast. Don't take a break from the baby. He probably had the baby in his lap while he's probably tapping away on his keyboard. The baby actually t- made, wrote this episode. We can tell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thank you so much. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. See you next time. But by see, we mean talk at you over an audio format. Bye. <laughs>
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.